creates his own offensive chance with that motor. Krejci to Coyle! And the Leafs are moved again! Hello there, and welcome to Ness and Bruins Podcast. I'm Nesson.com's Mike Cole. Joined once again, and as always, by Logan Mullen and Lauren Campbell. Guys, how are we doing? Lovely. Lovely as well. Wow. The uh, the energy so far is through the roof. Uh, through the <laughs> roof <laughs> from our, uh, our trio of... Uh, the, the weather is nice. It feels kind of like April out. I'm going to grill later. I feel great. Um, you that, very that's, much is that more energy? Is that enough for you, Mike? <laughs> that is a little better, yeah. It, it all starts with a host, all right? So don't be so quick to point fingers. I, yeah, that's true. I got nothing. I mean, it's just, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm luggage today. As, uh, you, so you guys are going to, you know, I'm going to, I'm basically cherry picking. You guys can make the plays on the defensive end, and then you can just hit me uh, on an outlet, and uh, I'll lead the rush. But uh, I'm really in it for myself today. So Like an old yogger. Yeah, right. Exactly. Um, Lots to talk about, though, about the Bruins, uh, which is what we do here uh, on a weekly basis. Um, it was a busy week, despite, again, not a ton of games. I mean, they're playing a condensed season in the midst of a pandemic, and it feels like they've played once in the last three weeks. That's not to say there's not a lot going on. I think that one game um, that we're really going to focus in on is, is where we'll start. I think it's a, it's a little bit different than just one game. That's the, uh, the Lake Tahoe game. Bruins went out to uh, – Nevada, right? It was technically Nevada, I think. Yes. Where did they stay? So is the the resort in Nevada too? Because it's like in state line Nevada. So as a, I mean, I would imagine it's right on the state line. It's got to be pretty close. This is definitely a bad habit, but I, because I just didn't know, refrain from naming what state they were in the entire time I wrote about it. Because I just, I don't know, and I guess I was too lazy to look it up. It's like it's by a lake. I know there's. There's part in California and part in Nevada, as far as I know. Yeah, all I kept seeing was state line Nevada, so that's where they played the hockey game. Uh, the Bruins won. The Bruins just ran all over uh, the Flyers in that one. David Pasternak with a hat trick. Um, it feels like that's a monthly occurrence at this rate for for him. Uh, I guess we can just start overall takeaways from from that. Um, kind of a, a bit of a uh, gong show uh, that entire weekend because. For some reason, the NHL just decided to ignore the fact that it might get sunny uh, at noon um, on a beach, but uh, in Nevada, no less. Uh, that being said, I think a, a fairly successful week for the, for the league in general. Uh, I saw the TV ratings came out. The Bruins game did an absurd number. I think it was like one of the highest watched regular season game on NBC Sports Network. Um, over a million viewers, so it worked. I thought it was pretty cool. Um, it, it, you know, they found uh, they got lucky. I think like playing that game, especially the Bruins game, like Saturday, Sunday afternoon, late Sunday afternoon into Sunday night, really did wonders. Aesthetically, it was awesome. I don't know. I thought it was pretty cool. What do you guys think? I loved it. I thought the same thing. It was aesthetically pleasing. Just thought it was odd that they don't account for the sun, considering every year at the Winter Classic they have some sort of sun delay, glare delay, whatever it is. But um, it was very successful. I thought and. Again, it just the scenery itself was incredible. I couldn't keep my eyes off the TV just because of the background alone. The the NHL catches so much flack for never trying stuff. And like, I don't know. They handled it as best as they could. Like, I liked the idea 
I, I still don't entirely understand why they felt compelled to do it this year with everything going yeah. on. Well, I mean and that they had to try. I mean, it's a, it was a TV money grab and in that regard it worked and it worked. Right. So they, they got a lot of eyeballs on the TVs, but you know, everyone was bagging on them for what was happening with the Colorado uh, Vegas game. And then the Bruins start time got moved around like a thousand times, but I don't know, roll with the punches. They got the games played. Like, I don't think anyone got hurt because of the ice conditions. Um, so, you know, if, if the NHL is actually going to make a concerted effort to try something new, like people just got to suck it up and understand that like sometimes stuff isn't going to work out perfectly. And like, well, you know, so they didn't. Yes and no, but that's born out of the fact that they were slaves to NBC and that game had to be played at three o'clock on a Saturday afternoon. Like, you know, so that's the problem. That's where I get annoyed with them is like, and I get it to a certain extent, like you got to make, you, know, you want to put the most amount of eyeballs on it, but like there was a way clearly in hindsight to make that happen, get good TV ratings and not put out an inferior hockey product. And we know it was on NBC. Do we know it was on NBC that night? Like Saturday night in, or Sunday night? Uh, it's Saturday in prime time that they were so insistent that it couldn't. Be. I have no idea. Well, it, the game got moved to NBC sports. Right, right. Well, that's what I'm saying. Because, like, like, SNL is on, I know, late Saturday night on NBC. Yeah. But I don't know it was preceding that. No. Yeah. <laughs> that I, was I also, like... too. Like, that, the, the weekend could not have started any worse for them. Like, with the just the, the clown show that was trying to play that game in broad daylight, Gary Bettman saying, like, well, you know, the we have <laughs> – there's no cloud cover, so the sun's out. Like – and then moving that game to midnight resumption. Like that was, it was a tough start to the weekend. And so I think that's where they kind of deserve to get bagged on there. Like it just, I don't know. It seems so obvious that it might be sunny and it might get in the way of the game that I thought that like the NHL had some sort of secret plan that was going to get around the sun for some reason, but you can't get around the sun. It's the sun. Yes. But when was the last time? And like, again, they still should have factored this, but when was the last time you saw a winter classic or outdoor game where it was actually sunny. Like last year, the Nashville Dallas one, lots of cloud coverage. Um, the one before Notre Dame, like all the ones the Bruins have played in, where there is a ton of cloud cover. Um, yeah, I mean, it's a it's probably more, it's cloudier in like Indiana or even Dallas on January 1st than maybe it is in, you know. California. That was the worst look of it all, that they're coming off a year where they played a freaking game in Dallas outside, and they couldn't get a, a one in Nevada and or California to go off smoothly. Yeah. I My thing, I think, like, I, I realized, and I mean, maybe this is obvious from the beginning, like, if they want to make this hashtag outdoor game thing happen or whatever, make it actually feel like some sort of like woven into the culture of the sport you can't you know the the winter classic and the stadium series don't do that like you know miss me with you know these guys grew up playing on the pond when you're playing like games at dodger stadium you know what i mean <laughs> yeah that being said like i think they might have stumbled into something i would this is where i would give them credit is that they start doing this like, yeah, they make this, like, the outdoor series or something like that if they haven't already done that. And they start going to, like, Christ, I don't know, like, Mount Rushmore or something like that, you know? Like, 
where you're not selling tickets. I don't think they're ever going to do that because it's just way too much money at stake. But like, this is a much better product when there's not a, you know, a stupid stadium in the way. Like Gillette stadium is not anything. That sucked. Yeah. Well, like there's nothing romantic about that. And I feel like the NHL has a messaging problem then with its outdoor games. Cause it's always talking about like bringing it back to, you know, the roots of the game. And it's like, you know, playing in a, you know, 10 year old, 15 year old football stadium on route one is not necessarily the, the roots of the game. You got to bring that down the road to the rink uh, a couple miles away. If you really want to, you know, make it, uh, make it nostalgic. So I don't know. I hope they kind of learn from that. I doubt they will just because like I said, there's way too much money at stake, but they kind of lucked into a, a pretty cool thing. So. I think too, like, I think going back to the stadiums, I mean, it looks cool to see everyone just like packed in there. A lot of, you know, venues for for hockey games don't hold 60,000 yeah. people but then I think I'd rather look at Lake Tahoe or that kind of scenery than a full Gillette Stadium I mean we see full Gillette Stadium every Sunday so I don't need to see it on a random Wednesday to watch the Bruins play yeah in addition to the money like the money is obviously the biggest thing I think like the the one thing that the NHL loves is like getting that overhead shot of you know from the blimp or the helicopter of you know, flying over Wrigley Field. And it's like, oh, this is what Wrigley Field, you know, we're expecting it to look a certain way. And now it's filled with fans and there's a hockey rink. And like, how, you know, that's neat. But like, other than that, it's not anything great. You know, I can't imagine going to those games is always the greatest thing too. Like the sight lines is weird. So, you know, if you were, if they were really concerned about making it the best experience for the most amount of fans they would do more of this stuff but that's just not the way it's going to go because it doesn't cost me you know i you know theoretically it doesn't cost me two hundred dollars to sit in front of my tv as opposed to like buying a ticket and going to the game well and they're also going to run out of places to go to that are actually worthwhile like we've all we've already seen it to a degree right like they they can probably dip into the college stadiums a little bit more but at the same time it's like you know, there are only so many times you could go to Fenway or something like that before it starts to lose its luster. So I also think there's a way that they can use the Tahoe idea and sell a small amount of tickets, like sell 5,000 tickets um, and then still have it designed as like a made for TV. Yeah, you could do like a, and that is actually a good point. I was thinking of that, like they probably could have gotten away and then make this, make it this like really exclusive, you know, cool thing to be a part of. And yeah, you know, like Mystery Alaska type of deal, you know, <laughs> yeah. where it's you know, portable bleachers that don't get in the way of the dramatic sight, you know, sight lines on TV and things like that. I, I it'll be interesting to see if they do anything with it. Like I said, I doubt it because there's just so much money, especially now too. And I actually, this is completely unrelated and a bit of a tangent, but I was on a call, like a seminar type thing the other day that Ted Leonsis was talking, and he was talking about the amount of money that they're going to lose is like across just professional sports in general, it's going to take them four years to start to, you know, recoup the, the losses. So like, I, I, I don't think there's going to be any hockey games played in front of no fans when, when there's an alternative of playing in front of fans for, for a long time, which sucks. that's a good point. Yeah. Um, what about the actual hockey game? I guess if, if there are any, real takeaways there i mean i guess the big news in hindsight is the jeremy lozon injury which we'll get into a little bit more later um david Pasternak, the numbers what is it like over 120 points or whatever it is over the last 82 games he remains yeah. like legitimately awesome i don't know <laughs> they're gonna ruin carter hart 
Like, yeah, Carter Hart's career is going to torpedo because he has to face the Bruins eight times this year. That's the thing. The Bruins have ragged all, what is it, five games already? Yeah. Yeah. And it has not been, I mean, there's a couple, I think there's a couple overtime or shootout games in there, but it is, it's been pretty one sided. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, go ahead, Lauren. Sorry. I was going to say, I, I mean, I, I thought that the Flyers would at least, it wouldn't be a blowout win for the Bruins. And I was sitting there thinking, like, the Flyers have to win at least one, and this would be the game for them to win, and they can at least split the series. I mean, they can't even do that anymore. But, I mean, David Poshnok, I mean, Logan said it perfectly. They're going to ruin Carter Hart. He's just going to continue to just be so dominant. And it's kind of scary to think he missed the beginning of the season. He has nine goals in nine games, I think it is. And it's just, like, it blows my mind that he's he, he looks like he hasn't missed any time and that his, his injuries are completely behind him. Um, but the, the game itself, I thought I wasn't expecting a blowout win in by any means, but they looked good, especially with the players, they were down and then losing Lazon in the game too. Um, kind of like a complete game for the Bruins. I thought the, uh, I was surprised with the blowout just because I don't feel like you, you see blowouts a ton in these scenarios, but in hindsight, we maybe should have seen it at least a possibility of it happening considering just how banged up the Flyers are right now. I don't even know if banged up's the right word, considering a lot of it's COVID, but they were severely shorthanded as well. So nice job. I'm honestly shocked it wasn't worse. Like the quality of hockey was better than I expected, especially with the way the game started with that posh knuckle, whereas like you could tell Carter Hart had no clue where the puck was. Um, Like the game, it it unraveled, right? Especially in the second period, but I felt like it could have, been like a way more unsightly game than it ended up being yeah um it was good i don't know i it, it, nice little sunday night <laughs> jack stadnika good job driving a line that's yeah. that's a fun line the stadnika bjork debrusk one nobody on that line likes to shoot but you know they're, they're fast they'll they'll hunt pucks i have a uh, one game defense takeaway as well that we'll get into uh, a little bit later that will probably tickle your fancy logan is that um, right? Have you been reading Nesson.com today? No, I just say it, it was a, a a take that I have uh, from Sunday night. So um, before we, we that's we a tease. Here, that's that's a professional tease right there. Um, did Green Day play? That's a good question. I, I, <laughs> I have no idea. Like, I mean, I, they, remember like, they must have been pegged for like intermission on Saturday, right? They probably were like second intermission on Saturday, right? Right. So I don't. I won. didn't stay up to watch that game, so I don't know. Like, was Green Day playing at like one thirty Eastern time on NBC Sports Network? <laughs> Tom, <Tahoe? laughs> that'd be pretty funny. That that's a textbook if a tree falls type thing. Sick. Yeah, that's a tough break. So I think, uh, you know, NHL inadvertently big winners of the weekend. Uh, Green Day big losers of of the weekend. <laughs> Make sure you run to your local record store and buy their new album, whatever the hell it's called. Um, all right, let's get into uh, some some more specific Bruins stuff. Uh, as mentioned, Jeremy Lozon broke his hand uh, or fractured his hand. Fractured and break the same thing, right? Yes. Yeah. I've been under the impression that they weren't, or somebody told me that a while back, and now I've never been sure about it. So I'm glad we got that out of the way. Where'd you go um, to medical school? <laughs> hey, Springfield's a, a very nice medical school. Nice yeah. exercise science PT. Yeah, I there's nice. I knew a lot of people. I probably could run that question by instead of doing it here um a lot of people i went to school with but um 
so yeah, he, he underwent surgery, right? I'm not making that up. Yeah, yeah I read the surgery, I read yeah. the release, but I probably should have known that. Um, anyway, the release so was like 11 words, so you yeah, I know. Carved out. I did. To... I did see that he'll be reevaluated in four weeks, which does not necessarily mean he'll be back in four weeks. I think that's kind of an important thing to keep in mind. He probably will be. Like I'm always blown away by how fast these guys can recover from like broken hands, but maybe that's just me never having a broken hand and not understanding, but. Um, so they're with him for at least a month. Not ideal. He's been playing very well. I, looked, I was surprised. I looked up his numbers before we came on and like, he's down to like 1833 a night of ice time, but that's because he played like one shift on Sunday night. You go back, he was averaging, I think 1944 per night. Like he's giving them legitimate top, you know, top pairing numbers, top pairing ice time. Um, add that to the, the, the list of, of injuries that they're going through right now in the blue line, a little bit of a desperate situation, I guess. What's our just initial top line takeaways on, on the Lausanne injury and where things stand with the defense right now? Well, it sucks um, for one, just because losing Lausanne is not ideal right now. And that's a lot of ice time to cover with your depth, especially, you know, Chris like should return this week. That's great. Miller, he's out for a little while. So it's like, you have to dig into your depth probably a little more than the Bruins would want to at this point, but that's why they have so much depth is to test it now and figure out what they have before it gets worse or maybe they have something that works. Um, a month is a long time to go without your top pairing defenseman. And it's, it's at least a month. It could be more. Um, hopefully it's not too much more, but you know, we've talked about, I think every episode the past two or three weeks that the Bruins have blue line depth and they need to test it somehow. And I no better time to do it now with everyone injured and there's spots open up. So test see who's out see what's out there see who fits see who's ready for nhl minutes and just kind of hope for the best until Lazon can get back in there yeah nothing else it gives them some opportunities to figure out what combinations work but for all the upheaval i guess with the injuries that they've had the one kind of set it and forget it thing was Lozon and mcavoy right and that's kind of a shock too because nobody really knew if he actually was going to be able to hack it on the top defensive pairing and like that's not something that you can just throw anybody into um the thing i worry about more so from a Bruins standpoint would be how much of a rhythm does this disrupt for him um you know he, he's still trying to become a full-time nhl player like i those young guys still have a tendency to get a little bit streaky and he hadn't hit that point yet and so he's going to come back in what at the absolute earliest late March. And we'll basically have a month of potentially like seating push, like big important games, physical games too. Cause at that point I've seen all these teams, you know, five times. Um, so if I were the Bruins, I'd be more concerned about, well, how much does this disrupt kind of the, the pattern that he was on? The good news, I guess, if you want to call it that, is that it's a hand injury. So conditioning shouldn't right. be as much of an issue. We you know, he'll still be able to skate, still be able to run and do stuff on dry land. You know, I mean, the problem, though, with that is, like, hands feel more delicate than, say, like a foot or a knee. So, you know, it, you're always at the risk of taking a stick to the hand and re-aggravating or, or whatever. I don't really know how that works. I'm not a hand specialist, but it feels like a, a smart thing to say. Um <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't have a whole lot to add. He's playing well. Tough break for him. Um, 
And like I said, it just kind of, kind of comes at a bad time. Um, I just want to hammer home. I think what, you know, Lauren was talking about, and I don't want to turn you know, this, you know, this conversation into, a, you know, revisiting the Zeno Chara thing. Like I, I think that you know, the, the Bruins depth is being tested, but they are, you know, the commitment to what they have right now and the commitment to this depth is paying off. And like, if they get, you know, if they lose two more defensemen, you're screwed anyway. If you're down six, you know, yeah. NHL defensemen, like you weren't, there's no way you could have planned for that anyway. They're taking on water on the back end and they've stayed afloat so far. And this one's really going to test them, you know, short of losing Carlo or McAvoy. This is, is about as bad as it can get when you start adding in everybody else who's out. But, you know, like I said, they've been able to kind of you know, take on water and then not completely sink and, and you, you just want to buy a little bit of time. That's all you're looking for out of depth, right? Is you're not right. necessarily looking at your whole back and nine or John Moore as like top four options long-term. You're just trying to buy time until Matt Grizzlick's healthy or Zaboral or, you know, Kevin Miller is ready to get back. Like your depth guys buy you time when you need it. And again, like I said, anything worse than that, you're screwed anyway. Like if you lose Charlie McAvoy for the rest of the year, you're, you're boned anyway. Like there's no, that's, that, that's not part of this conversation. So they've done, I think this is, you know, if they get through this and they're still among the top teams in the NHL, that's a, that's a check mark plus for Don Sweeney and what he's been able to do with the, the blue line. Well, it's stupid to use this as some sort of opportunity to be like, they should have re-signed Char and not just to like sit here and agree with you, but I've seen a lot of that. And it's like, yeah, I, the only way that they're really going to end up posed with this is not just if another if McAvoy or Carlo gets injured but if you get to the point where I mean how how many more defensemen can they go through I think the only other guy that they have the the two other guys they have in the minors right now that are on NHL deals are Nick Wolf and Jack Ashan both of whom are playing their first professional seasons so that's when you get into the issue is like okay, now Stephen Kampfer's hurt and Connor Clifton's hurt, and we literally have no spare defensemen. But at that point, that's when you're claiming guys off of waivers anyway. So, like, you would never let it get to that point. So if you think they should have signed Zdeno Chara, God bless you. That's great. But Jeremy Lozon getting hurt and Jakob Zaboral getting hurt and Matt Grizzlick being hurt all the time is not because the Bruins refused to or elected not to re-sign Zdeno Chara. Yeah, it's two different things, right? Like, I, I don't, they have the depth that's just being tested right now. And I, you know, it's going to take more, you know, experiencing what, you know, it's going to take a little more observation to figure out where it's at. But in the short term, it feels like they're in a good spot. Yeah, they never needed to test their depth last year with Krug and Chara around. And now it needs to be tested. And who's to say that Chara wouldn't have gotten hurt here? Like, yes, he's healthy with the caps, but there's still always that possibility too. And the other thing, Lauren, is like, and I talked to actually Logan, and I was talking about this today, like, um, so now you're down a handful of guys, right? And naturally you have to shift things. And if Zdeno Chara went from 21 minutes to 25 minutes a night because they need him to take on greater role, like, A, does he get exposed more? B, does he get hurt? Right, see what does that mean for you long term in terms of keeping him healthy and ready for the playoffs it's just I don't know I it's just I that's not to say that like they're better off without him in this scenario I just don't think it's fair to turn around and use this as like the the time like let's let's wait until they're down three one in the second round and they're getting pushed around 
before we start saying stuff like this. Like that's, I think where you're going to feel it more so than in mid February, late February, because you got a rash of injuries that nobody saw coming. Also, doesn't this kind of underscore the fact that the approach worked? Like the Bruins what, are yes. four, four everyday defensemen. And we're just now having the conversation of, are they screwed because their depth is so thin? Because right now. And their depth isn't even that thin. Like Stephen Camper exactly. would be a third pairing defenseman on the guy 15 different Stanley NHL Cup teams. Right. He's He's got Stanley Cup final experience under his belt. Like, And that dang shot in game one of the 2019 uh, Eastern Conference final. Yeah. I, so and they haven't even had to break that, that glass yet. So yeah. um, at practice, we're recording this on a Wednesday practice the McAvoy was skating with uh Vakanainen, Zavoral and Carlo uh and then Moore and Clifton um Logan I guess you can plug your piece about you know you're getting your wish it seems like with the top pairing defense yeah I, I think Bruce Cassie read Nesson.com and then went on the ice and said Euro you're with Charlie uh I mean they played a lot together once Lozon went down and how many minutes did Vakanainen end up playing for uh Sunday it was like close to 20 I think 20 yeah. minutes yeah um okay so you don't take a defenseman at the what was he the 18th pick something like that the 16th pick in the first round of the 2018 draft you don't take a guy in the first round you would think unless you think what played 23 28 yeah i knew he played a crap load of minutes he played so much um and bruce cassidy hinted wednesday that it won't always be that much. That was also kind of, I'm sure everybody's numbers were inflated wow. because they played the entire game with five guys. But the thing is, is with Vakanainen, in your ideal world, he's probably your top pairing defenseman, right? Like if everything pans out, your number one pairing for the foreseeable futures, Vakanainen and McAvoy, why not see now if you, if that works? Cause you know, Zaboral is fine enough as a second or third pairing guy. Like, you can put John Moore anywhere, but he's probably better suited being your third-pairing guy. So why not just baptism by fire, put back a nine in there and see if you actually have something there. He looks way more comfortable now than he ever did in his previous runs in the NHL. You know, he, he has the skating ability to hang around in the NHL. It's basically just like the playmaking ability and reliability in his own end. Um, but I would imagine... He's probably going to play a bit more freely if he's with McAvoy as opposed to Connor Clifton. And that's not even an indictment of Connor Clifton, but it's just McAvoy so good that a young guy like that can go and play more freely knowing, hey, if I screw up, uh, you know, he'll probably be able to save my bacon a little bit. Yeah, I have no other. I mean, well said. And you, Thank you. you I agree. Um, and I, I mean, that, yeah, it feels like you wrote that story and you had that thought and it feels like that has already been answered already. So um, that looks like what they're going to try for, for the short term, at least. Um, and as we've mentioned, ad nauseum, Cassie will tinker if he feels the need to. So we'll revisit it at some point down the road. Um, we've kind of hit on this. I think I, I've let it be known where I stand. And I'm, I'm not really sure what's out there. But, you know, do either of you guys feel like a, a, an external move is necessary and or imminent? Necessary, no. Imminent, yes. Just because I feel like there's always some sort of move that comes at the trade deadline, right around the trade deadline. Um, I'm saying no right now just because I don't know what this depth is like. If it works, I don't think a move is necessary. If there's some issues, can't really find what works, then sure, absolutely do an external move. Um, 
but right now I'm, I'm not rushing to go out and get someone I'm not concerned or really anything. So it's going to leave it as is, but maybe next week I'll change my mind on that. It's just weird because they are doing the whole youth movement thing. Right. And so, but at the same time, they're learning how valuable defensive depth is like you can never have too many defensive. so that's why I wonder if they would claim a guy off waivers or like I don't know do you call the Red Wings and say not Mark Stahl but like will you retain some of Danny to Kaiser's salary and send a guy like that like a veteran who might not be on the best deal but like they probably would be willing to part with that you can healthy scratch but you can also put in and he can be a top pairing guy but like another guy I think of not that Florida would probably do this is like Marcus Nudavara, who they're scratching a lot again not the greatest contract but if you get Florida to hold on to some I just don't know if you're at the point where you're trading for like Matias Ekholm like a guy that you actually would acquire to trade like the move I think of is 2018 maybe you do something akin to the Nick Holden deal where like Nick Holden they could put in I think he played a lot on the second pairing that year um, but they, they also might have healthy scratched them a lot because they had a ton of depth that year. Um, I might be misremembering that, but something like that, where it's like, okay, you either claim a guy on waivers or you get somebody for cheap, but everything's worked out so far. And do you really want to trade legitimate assets for a guy who in an ideal world won't even play, right? Like that's what John Moore's there for. Yeah. It's a tough spot. Cause like, I don't know if you want to, go out and try to beat the market and get out in front of it now when the prices are, are kind of probably gonna be more manageable than than the week of the deadline but at the same time like do you want to sit around and wait and take better stock of what you might need and then use that as your you know you don't want to waste trade capital right now to fix a problem that maybe you don't even have um right. which is why maybe that you know the those types of bigger deals is maybe what they would want to do right now if they were going to do it just because that'll help you in the short and the long term and it just makes you a better team um i don't know i mean like guys like i think friedman reported like brandon montour is available it's like yeah i don't know what probably you not. haven't even played greg mckeg yet like why are you right so there's a lot you know I wouldn't, I'm not rushing into doing anything until you absolutely need to, um, or you feel like you need to. It's just don't, you know, don't rock the boat. Oh, this is what I was going to be a point earlier. Um, defensively, like, I thought John Moore was really, really, really good Sunday night. Like, He'll never get a fair shake. Like, all I see is people ripping on John Moore. And it's like, first of all, sensational puck moving on Sunday. But he's fine enough defensively. Like, people, he'll get healthy scratch for a month. And then he'll get burned on like his first shift. And it's like, yeah, no shit. Like the guy hasn't played in a month. Um, also scratch my Brandon Montour thing. For some reason I had convinced myself he was a center instead of. I was that. wondering <laughs> where you're going with that. The, but... Yeah, that, that was my mistake. Um, the, the thing is though, about like trying to get out in front of this, how many teams are actually selling right now? Like, like the Sabres might, right? And then the Ottawa wing. but are you really gonna try and trade with a Canadian team right now with all the quarantine stuff like you saw what happened with Pierre-Luc Dubois uh, like I don't think the Canucks are gonna sell yet maybe the Ducks um, but you just roll through and then like the Red Wings are the only other team so I think everyone else right now it's it's way too early to kind of get out in front of it like the teams that we've heard considering making moves right now are the ones who 
already are kind of screwed like Nashville. Yeah. And so like, I think it, I'm, I'm open to, to waiver claims, but it's also impossible to say who's going to be on waiver. So. Right. Well, and a lot of guys on waivers right now are guys on bad deals, right? Yeah. Like the Adam Henrique thing, like it, maybe in a vacuum that works, but he also has like five years left at almost 6 million. And it's like, okay, you might like the player and he's able to be had, but they can just bury him on the taxi squad. Yep. So um, I don't have anything else. Do you guys have anything? Did we miss anything? They're going to play hockey this week, so that's good. What? I said, I don't think so. Okay. I'm pissed about that Montour thing. I, I say, why did you go, my head. Why did you go study the, the Sabres depth chart and report back next week? And... Yeah. <laughs> uh, All right. Um, okay, let's get out of here then. Um, that's Logan and Lauren. I'm Mike. This is Ness and Bruins podcast. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, we'll catch you again next week. See you. Thank you.